Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Not Your Orthodontist. You may have heard the news, we finally have a place for more than just doctors. This place is indeed for you. My name is Craig. I am the host of this podcast, as well as the proud founder and CEO of Virtual Aligner Support Professional. I come to you with a strong and innovative clinical background in orthodontics. I make it my top priority to help you open the door to the future. That future being the virtual world of orthodontics. Save your time, save the patient's time, and save chair time. Always remember one thing. If the virtual side of your practice is not becoming to you, you should be coming to me. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number one. I really just wanted to create a podcast out there that wasn't centered or focused only towards doctors, but also teams. I feel so often that People in the orthodontic world, you know, they don't know that they can make a career out of this too. They can get better. They can grow. There's more things to be out there in the orthodontic world besides a doctor. So just know if anyone ever wants to talk more about leveling up their experience or where they want to go in this, the options are endless. You just kind of have to find your niche and go from there. And I am more than willing to talk about that with any of you. Anytime you want, just send me an email at virtual.orthodontics at gmail.com and we will definitely set up a time to talk. And just so you know who you're talking to, again, as you may have heard in the introduction, my name is Craig and I have been an ortho for a while. I absolutely love it. Never in my life did I think I was going to end up in orthodontics, let alone even having braces or Invisalign. I never thought this would be me, but now I've made a career out of it, and I can say I've gotten pretty good at leveling myself up and trying to be the best version I can be. A handful of years ago, I started working in Northern California next to Drs. Donna Galante and Paul Cater at Cater Galante Orthodontics, and I would say it was probably the best decision in my life. It really is the gift that keeps on giving their motto, you know, as we all know, was change a smile, change a life. And literally, they changed my smile and it changed my life. And now I have the ability to help other people do that too. So it's a rewarding position and it just keeps on giving. So what do I do? Well, what do I not do? Maybe that's the better question. I work independently with orthodontists, orthodontists and orthodontic practices, and I set up their clin checks. So hopefully they just have to hit approve. They tell me what they want and how they like it. And of course, I offer some insight if I think something is not going to work. I've done lots of clin checks for different doctors, and I have a pretty fair idea if something's not going to work or it's going to work. And it's much more affordable to pay me to do your clin checks versus paying another doctor or some hundred or so dollars an hour. You can get me at a much more affordable rate. And I have a lot of experience. And I would humbly say I probably done more clin checks than many, many orthodontists out there. So 
anything in my brain is your brain. I've been fortunate enough to learn from one of the best, as many orthodontists know her, Donna Galante. So I'm very humbled to work under her. her and really, I just feel like, again, that has just been an awesome decision for me. And I have spread my wings and flew out on my own. But what else do I do? Well, aside from ClinChecks, I also oversee patients virtually. Using dental monitoring or my virtual care, there's other things out there like Grin, many platforms, really. I see those patients virtually for you. Aligner patients more so. I'm more of an aligner hitter. I would say anything you can do with braces, you can pretty much do with aligners depending on how you approach it. And practices hire me to oversee their virtual dashboards. Aside from that, I go in practices and I diagnose things. Do we have attachments falling off? Do we have low conversion rates for treatment coordinating? Everything. I've done it all from the top to the bottom, and I am here to help you. So this podcast is going to be ins and outs, little tricks along the way and advice. It goes two ways with me. I think I have learned from the best with many different doctors, and I think, oh, I like that approach. That's a good idea, or that didn't work. What's happening? I've been in enough practices by now to know what works and what doesn't. And today, what I want to do is talk about attachments. How many of you out there have no idea what the attachment's for? I know you're probably raising your hand right now. If I didn't start working clinically and doing the ClinChecks and studying through a line, I probably wouldn't have had any idea what they are either. But let's start with what they do. They don't just keep your aligners on. There's a very specific reason why we have attachments with aligners. One, it keeps the, helps keep the aligner on. Yes, I get that. However, the clinical crown of the tooth is what keeps it on more than anything. Yeah, if we have a child under the age of 12, maybe they have mixed dentition and the clinical crowns aren't quite too long, those definitely serve a purpose. For instance, like a phase one Invisalign patient, I am probably going to put an attachment on every single tooth if I can. We just need to keep those little bitty teeth in there active with the aligners. So the more the attachments, the better there. But the attachment itself helps aid the tooth in movement. Let's think, if I am rotating a tooth, which means if we have a tooth spun out of control, going completely rogue, I need a little bit more surface area to grab onto that tooth. And these attachments, we can bevel them one way or tip them the other way. We can do it just like a bracket. You always wonder, maybe some of you guys put the brackets on the teeth and the orthodontist comes and change them. You're like, what are they doing? Well, they are positioning them perfectly from intrusion, extrusion, rotation, buckle root tip, all those fun things. Where you place these things really is the science. And it's more so the science of physics. So if you ever wondered why you take physics when you go to dental school, it is for orthodonture. More than anything, you need to understand how force works. And that's also why you may complain when we put attachments on certain teeth and you're like, oh man, I can't get it on that tooth. Well, it's really important. If we place that attachment there, 
I need you to do everything in your power to be able to get that attachment there. Because the patient's success depends on those attachments sometimes. And as we all know, if we're missing attachments, again, that jeopardizes the treatment. So please try to always get those attachments on the best of your ability. And now let's talk about the attachments and bonding those. I'm going to share my personal experience with successful bonds and lack of bond failures with attachments. Also, to me, bond failure happens if you can't get an attachment to adhere to the tooth in the practice while the patient's there. Attachments failing or loss of attachments is when the patient leaves and they come back and they have all these attachments missing from their teeth. We want to do everything in our power to make sure they're nice and secure upon leaving. Step number one, what are you using? Are you using a paste? Are you using like a packable composite, a flowable composite? My personal favorite would be a flowable. And here's why. I like a flowable because one, it's quick to load. And you want to make sure we have just enough in there, not too much. But since it's quick to load... We don't need to preload it ahead of time. We can just load it chair side after we look at the prescription form and it adheres to the surface of the tooth. So like packable, you think if you overfill packable, you get like these huge bulky attachments. I mean, it doesn't really smear upon the facial surface of the tooth. It just like this big bulk and, and that's about it. Some people love packable, but it takes forever for me. And I want to make sure... I have no open margins around that attachment. We don't want any holes around the outsides of the attachments where we can get in food, bacteria, and debris where we can trap decay. No, we don't want any of that. And we want to be able to clean up flash as best as we can. Flash is that extra stuff around the attachment that we think, oh my gosh, it's all over. You will have maybe a little bit more flash with flowable because it's free flowy. However, it's going to be so much quicker as well as super accurate for me. We want to accurately place those attachments since they're very scientific and make sure we keep a nice dignity to the attachment. Because if not, again, that jeopardizes the treatment. Let's talk about my favorite now. I like to prep the tooth with a liquid etchant. Any etchant will work, but I like the resilience etch from, we get it from G&H Orthodontics and Grandioso Flowable. It's the, which one is it? Let me think here. The one that I like the best would be the incisal bonding. So it's Grandioso Flowable, order it from Shine, and it is the incisal bonding. And we got to think, incisal edges, what are those? Upper, lower, three to three on the interior. And if you've ever looked close enough, you see it's kind of like translucent at the bottom. Like right there, the enamel gets thinner right there at the bottom. And it kind of thinks, oh, that looks thinner right there at the end of the incisal edge. So why not use that for the attachments? Because that incisal bonding is more translucent. So it's going to really just bring out the tooth color, the more natural tooth color. And they have a product that goes with it, Boco. That's the single-use bonding agent. It's a light cure. And you can use that if you want. If not, it sure works really well, too, depending on what you have in your practice. But those are my favorite, definitely. 
And the first step I'm going to always do when I'm bonding attachments is make sure the tooth is clean. Always, always, always. Whether it's a profi or have them brush, you know if there's plaque. We don't want anything on top of the enamel at all. If you're unsure, maybe scratch it a little bit with a scaler and see if there's any plaque buildup. That's the first thing. Second thing, I want to make sure we're nice and dry. My attachment templates are filled to perfection, tucked away in a dark place that I'm ready. And it's easily accessible to me when I'm ready to place them on the tooth. After I've put the cheek retractor in and dried the tooth really well and make sure we're isolated, I'm going to apply the etchant. Now, here's the key. Too often, I go into practices and I see them etching the whole tooth. Maybe that works if you're doing some brackets and you're waiting for the orthodontist to come and place them or rearrange them. However, this is an issue that you're getting flash. You are getting flash right now because you are etching the entire tooth. So instead, what I like to do, my approach, I take a liner number one out of the bag. Because you think we've already filled the attachment template, stuck it in the box or wherever we put it in hiding so it doesn't set up. I take the first aligner, whether you're doing the upper or lower arch or both at the same time, I grab that aligner and I look at it and I only etch. I have like the aligner in my left hand and my micro brush with etch on the right. I only look at the attachment where it's placed on the tooth and I etch that part maybe just a little bit bigger just to provide a safe zone to make sure we get a complete adherence to the enamel. However, that is all I need. I don't want to over prep the tooth because what's going to happen then is when I place the attachment, when I put the template in, that's going to smear all over and bond to the whole tooth. That's what we don't want. Any flash that we want, we want it nice and not tight to the tooth, but loose from the enamel. That way we can just take a scaler and simply fly it off. And we avoid getting having to get the doctor in the high speed over to fly off on the interproximals where we bond teeth together. We do not want that. And with this approach, I never have that issue. So again, I have the aligner number one in one hand and the etch in the other. And I'm just using that aligner to look which part of the tooth do I need to etch. It's great. It's simple. It's easy. So I do that. Then I, you know, irrigate with some water, rinse the etch off completely. As we all know, we want to be very thorough getting that off. Maybe throw some air with the water in there too, and we should be good to go. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to dry the mouth out completely again. I know, I know myself, I do a lot of drying. I dry the cheeks, I dry the tongue, I dry everything. I just tell the patient, I am so sorry, it is going to be a drought in here in a second. But I just need this whole area nice and dry. So what do we call it? We have a cotton mouth. We're definitely going to have cotton mouth in the office if I'm bonding attachments. So get everything nice and dry. And you want to see that you kind of have that frosty color where that enamel is all frosty and the pores are open up and we're ready to invite the bonding agent, which is the resin, the voco, the assure, whatever you want. What this stuff does, it actually goes in those little pores and it invites this bond. It's this adherence. So again, my tooth's dry, it's frosty. After that, I'm going to get a micro brush or whatever you use. 
and go over the frosty spots with that. I still like to keep that aligner number one in my hand just to compare. I'm only putting bonding agent where the attachment's going, not the whole facial surface of the tooth. Again, after that, do that light air dry and then light it up. Whatever your instructions are for the bonding agent you use, but Voco, it's a light air dry and then light it up and cure it for five to 10 seconds. Okay, so we have that all set, making sure nothing's wet still. If we need to get the um, air syringe and dry a little bit more, we can do that too. Now I'm gonna get the attachment template that we filled up. Here's the key. You wanna go straight shot right in quick and use your fingers to make it nice and snug. That's what I like to do. And if you feel like you can't get it down all the way, grab a couple cotton rolls or something and have the patient bite down or squeeze. They can bite down while the attachment template is in because it helps secure it down. We want that nice and flush and tight against the occlusal surface. So I even recommend holding your fingers on the occlusal surface and just press gently at the bottom to make sure all that on the facial surface is completely adhered. And then I do a quick zap. I just want to be able to set them up all real quick. So I, for about three to four seconds each tooth, I, I zap around real quick and then I go follow back around at a more relaxed pace for about 20 or 30 seconds. And my favorite part is next. I remove the cheek retractor now. I know. I watch so many people out there and they keep the cheek retractor in and grab a scaler and they start poking around the patient's mouth. No, do not do that. That is such a nightmare. It's much more comfortable for the patient if you take the cheek retractor out, give them a little water. It's dry in there. Come on, be nice. Take the retractor out throw them with some rain inside and reach with your fingers on the very back tooth and get your fingernail or whatever in the margin, that back tooth. And you're going to pull it loose a little bit and then grab it on the left and right sides of the tooth, the lingual and facial surface of the tooth, grab it tight and rock it back and forth and work your way around quickly and pull it out fast, like snap it out pretty quick because it's not going to hurt the patient. Uh, people see me do it and they're like, oh my gosh, you're crazy, Craig. I'm like, no, what's crazy is that you are sticking a scaler in their mouth. I've seen it at least five times. I've, I've witnessed people jab someone in the gums or the cheek with that scaler because they lost their grip or they flew it out. That's crazy to me. It's not safe. We shouldn't be doing that. So use your fingers and pop that out nice and quick. Don't take your time. Go out and they won't even know. They will have no idea that you took it out because you took it out so quick and you're pulling fast enough to where it's not going to get stuck to the tooth. After that, you know, give them some more water, rinse them out. You got that. Now let's just go look around the attachments. The first thing I want to do is take a scaler and I'm just going to go push around on the attachments to make sure it's completely out here. And with the scaler, check for any open margins that we don't, you know, that harbor any unwanted food traps under the attachment or anything like that. Look there and also look with the liner number one. Did all the attachments stay? Hopefully they all stayed. If not, bond them again. Maybe you want to grab the dentist or hygienist and have them polish the tooth a little bit just to make sure and complete the process again. But do that. Make sure the attachments are there. And then 
take your scaler and the flash should be pretty easy to fly off by then. The incisal flash or wherever, since you didn't prep the whole facial surface of the tooth, it should be pretty easy to fly off. And then when you're done, of course, set it with some floss, go in those interproximals and be nice. Don't be like that mean hygienist that just throws it in there. That's not very nice. And you know what? And they don't learn that in school. They don't learn to, you know, cut your gums when they go in so hard. I'm like, can you calm down, sweetie? That's what I think. Can you calm down with that floss, sweetie? So be nice to your patients. And then what do you have left? On the lowers, on the lower fours and fives, the lower bicuspids, those are usually going to be occluding points for the attachments, meaning you might need to get a slow speed or high speed in there and just polish right there above the attachments on the lower fours and fives. That's where we tend to hit. The rest of the attachments will smooth out with time. Just tell the patients it'll take a little bit to get used to these. If you lose an attachment, let us know. It's not urgent to put it back on, but if the tooth's not tracking, we'll grab it at your next appointment. And with that being said, that is the end of our attachment issues. So just remember, if you're having attachment issues, this podcast is for you. And stay tuned soon for another podcast. Let me know. If you have any requests, please send me an email, virtual.orthodontics at gmail.com. Or find me on LinkedIn, Craig Stokes. And I would be happy to answer your questions and address them in a podcast. As of right now, I don't really have a set timeline when podcasts will come out. They, I hope every other week or at least once a month to release a podcast, but we'll start slow and I will answer whatever you want to hear. Thank you and have a great day.